Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership coaching and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources— Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. How can leaders continue to develop courage? We'll look at that in our coaching tip for the week. And today in our interview segment, we have an innovative and dynamic leader in the professional coaching community, Brittany Cotton. And she is head of coaching with seven CTOs, trains and mentors coaches as a program leader with accomplishment coaching, and also serves companies in their C-suites directly as an executive and leadership with Coach EXE. I'm really excited for you all to hear this episode with Brittany. She's brilliant. She's one of my favorite people on earth. And her beautiful dog, Teddy, joined us as well during the call. So please excuse the barking um, through the episode. And we love Teddy dearly. So I was happy he was there. I hope you enjoy the episode today. And remember, something powerful resides within you. I'm here to support you in seeing it and creating it. So how can leaders continue to develop courage? There are a couple things that I've been thinking about uh, if I had to synthesize continuing to build a skill set of courage. The first thing I would say is step out of your comfort zone. This is something that we're taught often when we're young. I think I remember this in school, but then I forget it. You know, we all forget it along the way because we stop stepping outside our comfort zones. Safety and being comfortable and staying in a lane that feels warm and fuzzy can be really seductive sometimes because anything outside of your comfort zone is going to feel hard, scary, and it's going to make you grow. So that's point number one is practice stepping out of your comfort zone often. That could look something like going to a new restaurant across town that you haven't been to that you're nervous about, or it could look like something as big as starting a new business or trying a new place to live in the world anything that's going to have you grow. The second piece is embrace your vulnerability. Man, this (laughs) embrace the suck. Vulnerability sometimes feels okay for me and sometimes it feels awful. There's always a risk to feeling made wrong or feeling shame or feeling exposed when we're vulnerable. So remember that the more that you practice embracing vulnerability, you're going to learn that you're not going to die that all systems aren't going to shut down and that you're going to grow a muscle around bringing more vulnerability to access courage. Courage does not exist without vulnerability. They go hand in hand. And the research that Brene Brown does around this is really beautiful if anybody wants to to follow up on that. But really, it must exist 
and it must be built as a strength rather than a weakness. The third piece is learn from your setbacks. So there have been many times in my life where I thought failure was the thing to be avoided at all costs. And it really took reframing that mindset probably about 10 years ago for me with an acronym that was shared with me by a mentor that instead of thinking about failure as defeat or wrong, it was first attempt in learning. That, that has stuck with me for the last 10 years because what I really under, began to understand is that nobody gets anywhere without failing. I think of some of the greatest athletes in the world or some of the greatest singers of the world, they have failed over and over and over again to learn from their setbacks. So I, I look forward to failing because I know I'm gonna grow. In my world, that helps me accelerate what I'm doing and build courage into the next setback. One of my favorite coaches, Rodney, who uh, leads transformation through a system called EOS, often talks about the idea that a healthy business is a business that has problems on a regular basis. So it's not that you're not solving the problems on a regular basis, but that you're welcoming and inviting setbacks or issues so that you can be accountable to moving things forward and learning from them as a healthy metric for the business. Imagine if a business was 100% perfect all the time and there was nothing wrong ever. Uh, That's when stagnation starts to occur or things uh, no longer grow. So again, learn from your setbacks, welcome them, and look for the opportunity in this setback. Brittany, I am so excited to have you here today. You're one of my favorite people in the whole world. And I always like to... (laughs) I always... um, Yeah. I just, I always like to share with people who are listening how we met. And I remember um, one of the first times that I got to work with you, uh, we both met each other through accomplishment coaching, the beautiful training program that we both worked with to become coaches. But I remember I got to train and lead with you in a room in San Diego, Mm -hmm. I think is where it was the very first time that I officially got to meet you. And I, uh, I remember leading with you and thinking how incredibly wise and brilliant you are for um, just for your season of life and where you're at. And um, it never ceases to amaze me, the beautiful things that come out of your brain and your heart. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, let's start off um, with sharing a little bit, like, how did you become a coach? What led you to coaching? Um, like any great love story accidentally, <laughs> not, not on the lookout for it. So I wasn't out, you know, swiping coaching apps. Um, I had finished a master's program and was applying to PhD programs, really aware of, do I want to spend more money? Do I want to put more energy into a system that's already currently telling me, Hey, we don't have jobs for you and we don't have space for you. I was in the hustle of, you know, finding semester jobs at this college and this community school and and private high schools. And so there was such a sense of, I know I'm smart and I'm clearly have something to provide people, but outside of an academic, you know, container, I don't know how to translate this into a job. So I was filling out the PhD applications thinking this isn't for me, but I don't know what is. 
And at the same time, I was living in San Francisco and I was watching all these people I had gone to college with get these amazing jobs at Google and Facebook. And I was thinking, man, I'm going to be a martyr. I'm going to have, I'm not going to have any money. I'm not going to be able to travel. I'm going to be always like looking for the next job, but I'm going to know that I'm smart enough for something else. And at that point, I had a family member who told me about accomplishment coaching. And I thought, well, coaching sounds like total bullshit. Absolutely not. But <laughs> he so drastically transformed um, that I thought, you know, I need to do something outside of myself. Like everything that's in here isn't getting me to where I want to go and a place that feels like it values me and it is like having me feel purposeful. So mm-hmm. I did, you know, did the program and a month into it, I started getting clients. And by year's end, I quit all my other jobs. I was in the service industry. I was a research assistant and a teacher's assistant at a private college in Oakland, California. And I've been full-time coaching ever since. And now, as you know, I lead that program with Accomplishment Coaching. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, and what has been, um, what's been the thing that solidified that this was the choice for you? Were there any moments or any specific mm-hmm. stories that you love that were like, yes, this is firmly where I belong? It's hmm. a great question. I think the fact that I felt like I was doing something that I that was already inside of me that I didn't know I had the tools and the skills for, but that I was learning to cultivate them more and people were valuing me for it. So I really felt like the value, the reciprocity of it going both ways finally settled into, oh yeah, this is who I am and this is who the world is. And we actually get to meet in a way that doesn't feel like I'm proving to you my value or that I'm having to navigate showing up inside of a mask. I think that was one of my biggest transformations was um, realizing how much I performed Brittany rather than actually knew who she was and existed and and had her like integrate everywhere. Mm, That's beautiful. So that almost feels like uh, coming home to you, just also knowing your grounding. Yeah. And and I think it happened out of the light I'm going to, Nope, that's too weird. <laughs> that it happened out of um, really identifying the stories that I had about myself and starting to dismantle them in service of getting to be with myself. And so when I started my business, the things that I ran into that were really hard at first were I've never been in an office job. So how am I going to coach people, you know, in these offices, uh, whether it was Google or Facebook, you know, that were surrounding me or, you know, executives all over the world. And I present really young. Mm. So I was constantly faced with that at the start of my coaching business. But what liberated me was when I realized coaching wasn't about knowing the answer. It was supporting somebody else in cultivating it inside themselves. So you know, that's kind of fun that at the same time I was realizing it doesn't matter how old I am or how old I look, and it doesn't matter what my history is. I get to show up in that moment and be powerful for someone and them trusting me creates power for them. So I guess it was that, like, I actually felt like I was in a relationship, whether with myself or others that felt, yeah, like home or like it was, um, giving back. Mm, That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today was because I think the type of leadership that you bring to the world and that you support others in is really about changing 
changing the norm and the way it goes. And so I know that in addition to your your leadership role at Accomplishment Coaching, you are um, a leader with seven CTOs. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that org is and how you got there? Yeah, absolutely. So seven CTOs is a membership organization that really serves the technology leader to um, be the executive their company deserves, but also have the experience of leadership that they deserve. And it's really about shaping the future of technology leaders such that technology education is all over the world, uh, that human education of who we actually are is all around the world, and really the combining of those two, which is really interesting right now in the face of AI, which you can imagine in a community full of hundreds of CTOs, there's so much around what does humanity look like in the face of this you know, we're in a technology world and now we're actually having technology pretend to be human. Um, but w- with seven CTOs, I'm the head of coaching. So I create all of our leadership content and facilitate our peer groups as well as lead our retreats through the methodology that a technology leader cannot just be a technology leader. They have to be a human leader, a people leader, um, a heart-based leader in order to really have the impact they want to have. Oh man, I, it is such a service that you are <laughs> that you are bringing to the world of tech because for so long I think, and and I learned this through Renee Brown's work actually. You know when we're talking about uh, vulnerability and the difference between systemic vulnerability versus human vulnerability, mm. and um, we often with our with our tech leaders run into this conversation about. Um, systems can't be vulnerable, but people must in order to create amazing systems. So, uh, what, what you're doing is amazing. And for anybody who's listening, that is a CTO, I would run (laughs) to, to work with Brittany and their program, uh, because you've created such a community there and I've had the, the privilege of getting to see your work in real time with them. And, and I think it's really beautiful what you're doing. So, That being said, what have you started to see more of as trends? I mean, we're just entering 2024. Um, For me, the new year started out very slow, much slower than I was comfortable with in terms of life slowing me down. So it's less about like slow work or there's not work coming through the door. There's a ton of work coming through the door, but it was more like I was getting signs every time I turned around to go slower. So like sit on your goals for a while. Don't declare them yet. Uh, say no powerfully to work that doesn't align with your values. Things like this is what I've been wrestling with. And as a result, it's it's had 2024 feel much slower than it normally does. So how about you? What's been happening in your world there? It's funny, it's funny you say that on you know in, Instagram. I think it was today or yesterday. I keep seeing all these memes about how like January is like the most days of the month in the year. And people are feeling like, wait, is it February, 2024 yet? And I was thinking, <laughs> does this happen every year? Or is it just this year that feels like time is moving slow? Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm really present to the trends I'm seeing is last year was hard. Last year was really hard for a lot of companies in many, many ways. And the thing that I was most present to and got to work with people on was that either it was the first year or the first year that they were really feeling the impact of stagnation, Mm -hmm. not necessarily losing revenue or losing people, but just not moving the needle at all. Yeah. Or the, you know, the second or third year of, of losing money and, and not really being the company that they knew themselves to be. So 
I think that that's really what's been in the space. And I'm noticing a lot of the companies I work with, they're over that hump. And now that they have under their belt time period of success and like really getting to learn to work together when things are fun and working and money is coming in and products are going out to a period of this is not working, this is not fun, what are we going to be doing next, to now be back into a place of building, but it's not innocent building or like ignorance building in terms of the the mass mm-hmm. has been taken off. Yeah. The, 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 I don't know what the right word is for that, but the blindfold, right? That's when we use the blindfold has been taking off of, oh, it is going to be hard at times. And that actually is part of what we're doing here. And I think that's the trend that I'm really seeing is people are like, yeah, the hard part is a part of this and I can't actually run away from it. So how am I going to be with it? And I think that might be an indicator of why things are slowing down. It's like, uh oh, we're not, we can't actually run away. So we might as well learn to be where we are. I love that. And with that new awareness I'm I'm just sitting here thinking about how amazing it is that people have that new awareness and what's the what's the resiliency that you're seeing built and can you speak to how you're supporting people in building that? You know, like there's been books and things for years about leadership. Do this, do that. Here's how to manage time better. Here's how to practice vulnerability. All these things. And my guess is a lot of us, a lot of humanity doesn't lean on them until we have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, you know, somebody asked me the other day, what's your spiritual practice? And I was like, well, I, I call the 1-800 hotline when I need it, but I'm not like an avid, I'm not on the phone with them all day long. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's true of a lot of leadership is we know the stuff, we've heard it logically, but we've we are being asked to actually integrate it and act try practicing it. So what I'm noticing and what I'm working with a lot of the leaders that I get to be with is um, small steps go a long way. And it doesn't feel like that can be true when you're faced with having to lay off a hundred people or a war that two wars, you know, I have a lot of people who have people that were in Ukraine and people in Israel or Palestine. And so there's a lot in the space of that. um, I don't feel like I'm big enough to tackle this but that they're learning to be with that small steps make a really big difference. Nice. That's beautiful. Well, and one of the things you and I were talking about um, earlier was that you tend to see a lot of leaders who see a lot more than they're saying. So Mm -hmm. um, how is that manifesting and what are you noticing there? You know, um, you and I obviously have the benefit of going through a program that's designed to demonstrate to you that you see a lot more than you think you see and that there's incredible power in saying the thing that's, or hearing what's not being said and then speaking to it. And what I'm realizing is that people see so much more than they're willing to speak to. And when you're pushed to a difficult time, that kind of same thing, right? I think we've all heard the phrase pain pushes while vision pulls, Mm. where people in this slowed down time are either pushed from a pain or called forward to something different. And it has them clued into things that maybe they didn't have to see before when things were going well, or when things were rapid inside of innovation. Mm -hmm. And I I know I shared this with you uh, a little bit ago that 
I was in a meeting yesterday with a group of people and I reflected something to one of the executives and I asked the rest of the room, who all has you know noticed that about your counterpart before? And they all raised their hand. And I said, who has reflected to the, that to him before? And they all put their hand down. And so we got to talk about the responsibility of going first in leadership, but that doing it around trusting what you see as a way to really start impacting people. And we all just see so much. And we think, I think the thing that I would offer people is it's, it's the gut feeling. It's not that you're suddenly like, oh, Bob just did or said this. So now I understand them. It's, oh, I have a feeling that Bob's not going to do the thing he just said he's going to do. How can I actually say that or offer that? And so that's the thing I'm calling forth in a lot of the leaders I'm working with and asking people to practice because Honestly, I think a lot of the destruction and pain that happens in the world is because things aren't said that boil underneath the surface and that you actually see more of them than you think you do. And what are the conversations we get to have if we put them on loudspeaker? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also the courage that it takes to say them, right? And stay in the uncomfortable part of the conversation. It mm-hmm. seems like that's another piece of it is uh, not only do you have the courage to speak up, but can you say it and be in it without tapping out or or having it used against you in retaliation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess at the end of the day, what we're all really doing is we're we're building up our skin for the, you know, for the uncomfortable. It's like, you know what I'm, I had a, even a client this morning and we were talking about how if you like a really deeply human experience is learning to be with sensations that we can't put an answer to that we realize we just have to sit in, whether that's grief or, you know, um, just absolutely undescribable pain or inquiry that doesn't give you an answer. And that feels so weird in our body because we're so used to being able to go to somebody and give the answer. Um, I think that you and I are both in the same methodology of this that lean into that. That's when the leadership is really starting to um, envelope you and you're stepping into a higher level of, of um, responsibility and openness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really uh, the way forward, like you're saying, and that the something that we talk about a lot in the, the C-suite collective is the messy middle. And the getting real part of the transformation and having it all on the table and looking at it together and being in the mess instead of anything else that used to be the norms for creating uh, business deliverables like perfection or overworking or burnout. Right. And, and we're not saying those things won't exist, but can you sit with them and actually look at them together as a collective and as a team or as a as a leadership team, an executive C-suite, right? Yeah. I was on a call with a a team that I coach a few weeks ago. And what they brought to me in in the request of a a group coaching session was we're really bad at making decisions and we want to, um, we have to make the decision on this thing today. Mm -hmm. Like we have to. Mm -hmm. And to their upset, like where we ended was, what if you actually didn't? Mm. And like, what if you actually didn't get off this call and sat with that you didn't, but not as a failing of you all not being able to come to a decision, but of a, a growing of not getting to be with each other when things are just tied up in a bow. And what we realize in that conversation is that this company has a culture of always wanted to to tie things up in a bow. 
mm-hmm. which makes it such that when there's no ribbon present, it's very uncomfortable and they like do not want to participate. Mm, that's brilliant. You're giving me ideas for an upcoming offsite for a group I'm leading <laughs> in a couple of weeks. It's brilliant. Cool. All right. Well, um, that leads me to my next question for you. Uh, you are a leader of leaders. You've trained so many beautiful leaders and So what are you telling people about difficult times and where we're at in the world and and leadership in general right now, where it's headed? You know, I think a lot of work has been done in this arena, but I don't know that I've, that it's um, hit me as strongly as it has recently that, you know, we're conditioned to believe that there has to be an answer or there has to be a solution. Mm even when we're kids, right? And we ask our parents, why this? Why that? Either they give you the answer of why, or they say, just because. But just because suggests that there is an answer, we just don't know it or we're not going to give it to you. Versus, I don't know, not everything has to be answered. And I think that that's kind of like one of the biggest things that I'm running into and that I think really shakes us to our core during difficult times is this idea that we're supposed to have the answer and the answer is supposed to fix it. Mm. And if we look at everything happening in the world right now, you know, there's clearly not an answer because we can't come to a consensus. And so while everybody spends a lot of time thinking, well, we just have to find the consensus. What if the actual learning is that there isn't one and how do we be with each other when there isn't one? And I think that's the really big thing I see for leading during a difficult time is that you are a person or an organization, you know, something inside of a way bigger dynamic. You know, your your company could be impacted by the global market. It might not be that it was because you didn't get your product, product out when you thought. It could be that there's something bigger happening. Hmm. And to actually recognize who you are in the bigness, which is that you cannot control it. Mm-hmm. It is not up to you to solve this. And so what mechanism can you learn to be with the bigness without going to the belief that you need to fix it or find the solve that's as big as the problem? Hmm. It's kind of like the power of locating your, uh, sounds so weird. And I think a lot of people would be like, that's not the way we usually talk about it, but like locating your smallness and then the bigness that your smallness gets to provide such that I am just one person, you know, impacted by this huge cultural phenomena or industry phenomena right now. Okay. Well, inside of my control, who do I get to show up as in service of my team and myself and my organization? And then trusting that that actually is enough. Mm. And we just kind of don't want to because when the the difficulty feels really big, it seems like we have to match that with our solution. And what if the solution gets to be you taking one new step every day or trying out something different you've never tried before? Yeah. All roads lead back to you, right? Like if the more you can belong to yourself and the more you can create awareness in yourself, the more impact you will have in your mm-hmm. spaces, the where you are. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Really, really cool. What do you hope to see over this next year in the development of resilience and difficult conversations and people growing their ability to be in uncomfortable conversations? More people leaning into that self-work is organizational work. Mm. You know, especially it's, 
it's really interesting at, at seven CTOs. One of the things we sometimes run into is like, yeah, I get it. There's things for me to work on, but like my company is paying for this and I really need to work on something that my company needs. Mm. And I'm like, what if you are what your company needs and that you working on you is actually access to shifting that, you know, the ROI or what have you. And through that lens, another way to think about it that, that I interact with or get caught up in is in, it's really interesting. I, I work with a lot of like startups or smaller companies and, and I, sm- smaller can still be like 500 people. So there's still a lot of dynamics, a lot of things at play. Mm. It is really interesting when you go into the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Toyotas, the you know live nations of the world. And they're like, yeah, but you don't get it. This is very corporate. So even if we learn this, we can't apply it here because there are rules here. And the thing that I would love for people to get is, yes, but you matter. So you changing this is access to the two people that report to you and then the three people that report to them. And, you know, I'm not saying go, you know, change the wheel of your company, but I'm saying that you actually changing the wheel of yourself could inherently change the wheel of the company. 100%. This is something that we're constantly speaking to uh, organizations about uh, currently, which is, you know, our three-step process, um, getting real first about what's on the table. Then second is belonging to self, right? Can you actually get back to you, your values, your beliefs, your voice, and not have it um, controlled by any old power dynamics or systems or structures? Like who can you be in the face of it? Which is basically what you said. And then what emerges is cultures of belonging that uh, need support and structure and sustainability, but there's a shot at least for that soil to sprout seeds, you know, of, of new collective energy as opposed to people getting left behind or tapping out. It's funny you said that and, you, and use that analogy when I was just with a company this last week. Um, I was like, would you rather look at a barren field or look at seedlings and see them starting to grow and get to walk by the seedlings every day, even if they just stay as seedlings in your vision or look at a barren field. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the seedlings is that them being present suggests that something is happening underneath. But if you don't see anything in the barren field, there is no, like you don't suspect that anything is happening underneath. Mm-hmm. So it's like trusting that, the little bit you see is actually example of something taking root. Mm, That's lovely. That's really gorgeous. Yeah. Have you had any clients come back recently that you've worked with over like the past two years, three years, five years that have come back and shared any wisdom from their, their internal work that they've done? Like sometimes as coaches, I think we don't always get to see the results right on, Mm -hmm. on the future vision path of people. So have you had any uh, feedback around people that have come back? You know, the thing that I feel like I get most often is what we worked on and transformed is not what I came for, but it's the thing that still has continues to, to interrupt and be present in my life. So I think it's pretty cool when we work with people and, and we know that's kind of what it's about. It's like, it's never what you think it's going to be about. And when people get that and then get to go about life that way, that, that to me is the thing that it becomes most present. You know, I had someone reach out to me recently that I coached that I felt it did not go well and was not impactful at all. Mm. And, you know, she called me and said, you know, I just want to share, like, I just really want to thank you. It was like 
drastically tr- changed my life. And I was wow. thinking, do you have the wrong number? <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same calls. So the thing it made me think about is really, and, and I think this is so important in leadership, is not assuming you know your impact. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the thing that people come back with, whether, you know, like in that story that I got to be with that. But I think that that's what clients also really learn after we leave is like, oh, you know, we talked about that for a few months and then I didn't think about it again. And then suddenly a year later, I had the very thing that we were going to talk that we talked about, but I had forgotten about it. It's, it's, it's again, that roots thing mm-hmm. that like the, the seeds we sow really produce something that show up later. And, and that's why, you know, I, it's like so funny when people are like, well, can I just get a month of coaching or just a few sessions? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this ain't that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> No, it doesn't and I think that that's way. what leadership is too. It's like, okay, you're going to find the thing that's going to be the tool for you right now in the difficult time or in whatever it is. That's not going to be the tool that's next year. So that's why regeneration and having muscle of regeneration is the foundation of leadership. It's really believing that there is an, an infinite system to learn about yourself and the world and that you might not have the tool you need the next time but you do know that you have the capability to learn what it is and start practicing it. Mm, That's beautiful. So much growth long-term. Yeah. Oh man. Well, Brittany, thanks for coming on and sharing your nuggets and your wisdom and your vision for the world and where it's headed. It's really beautiful to hear from you. So you're, you're such a powerhouse, you're a force, you're leading so many people and so many leaders. So thank you for what you're doing for the world. Thank you. As always, it's getting questions asked by you is like the greatest bath of curiosity there is. So (laughs) thank you. That's amazing. I'll take that. (laughs) Thank you so much. 